When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth, and today we are also joined by a very special guest. It's Eric Galco, the Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Nice backdrop there, Eric. You can uh, show off the, the Shrine Bowl logo and everything. The brand guy right there, that's what that is. But we were just talking about it before we hit record. Uh, 45 players drafted from the Shrine Bowl, four of them Patriots. Eric, uh, quite the run for you guys this year. Yeah, uh, it's exciting to take over the Shrine Bowl this year. This is my first year at the event, too, and the goal is to make it a, a best-in-class event and a place where every NFL GM is at. We've had pretty much the whole league there this year GM-wise. Obviously, every team was there, but um, a large NFL contingent being in Las Vegas, partnering with the Pro Bowl. So it was a great year for the Shrine Bowl and a lot of big things to come in 2023 and beyond. We're pumped. Absolutely. So we're going to just start throwing names at Eric. There are four guys that were drafted by the Patriots that participated in the Shrine Bowl and uh, two undrafted guys, too, so far that the Patriots have signed that were also in uh, Vegas uh, in January, early February, depending on which way you look at it. So I, I want to start right off the top, though, and we'll just work our way down the draft order here with Tyquan Thornton from Baylor, the highest pick from the Shrine Bowl since 2012. And uh, I just wanted to get your take, first of all, on what you got to learn about Tyquan, the person, before we kind of get into Tyquan, the football player. Yeah, really the evolution of, of Tyquan, watching him at Baylor and wondering, why isn't this guy more talked about as a player? And the Baylor staff raving about him um, as a player, as a leader in that offense, and getting a chance to meet him and talk to him. And, and he's a person with a family. Um, he's a very mature, uh, I think, NFL, just professional ready if he was a football player or not. I think he's ready to be an adult right away. He already really is. And I think that's going to be a huge win for whoever drafting the Patriots in this case to get a guy who is going to walk in the door and know how to be a pro. And I think his his high character, his development over his career, the really the, the off-field stuff and the character stuff shows up on film in a big way. I think there's still a lot of room to grow for Tyquan Thornton on the field because he's ready to develop that way off it. You, and you, but you mentioned the development, though, and seeing him grow at Baylor. Is there a certain aspect of his game that really stood out where he grew, you know, from year one or year two to now? Yeah, I think the biggest area that he's still even getting better at is using his dynamic athleticism and length as a route runner. The Baylor offense known for not having a diverse route tree for a lot of their guys early on. But I think Tyquan was early on in his career and even earlier this season 
was able to just win with vertical speed and separating after the catch. But you saw him get better over his career, and especially this past year, of winning without speed, using that stop-start ability, using the, the leverage plays against defensive backs, timing his routes and timing his bursts at a very high level. And it's important for top-end speed receivers with Tycon. We know he's electric fast. He's fast in the 4 2 he ran at the NFL Combine. But to win in other ways is how you set up that speed, right? When you can beat player, beat corners and quick slants or dig routes or comeback plays, those deep plays happen a lot more often. That route running ability has gotten a lot better. The other piece that's gotten better in his college career is I think the red zone ability. Again, he's a guy who's a bit of a slider frame, but he's really crafty as a red zone player and had a lot of big catches for Baylor and catches from Gary Bohannon, their quarterback from last year, in the red zone inside the 20-yard line. So I think he's a vertical threat on the outside with a lot of big play ability, but his development as a route runner and especially his ability to threaten in the red zone makes him, I think, a true outside receiver and a starting caliber one the Patriots draft him to be. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you said that he's kind of an adult off the field as well in his maturity level because I think that's so big in this Patriots offense. It's so complex to pick up what the Patriots run, especially for receivers, that you kind of need a student of the game almost and somebody that's willing to put in that extra mile. I wanted to ask you about how he was performing at the Shrine Bowl specifically at the week of practices, the game itself. I watched the game, but I wasn't able to get there for practices. So how did he stand out against the other NFL guys that he was going up against that week? Yeah, I think he continued that kind of development as a route runner. But again, the biggest thing he showed the Shrine Bowl week, and again, we knew he was fast. I think the corners that week learned pretty quickly how fast Taekwon can be. But again, it's that ability to kind of use that speed to his advantage when he's not going deep. But I think he set himself up very well getting off press, winning in the quick slant game, to working that deep comeback game, to building a rapport with the quarterbacks we just got a chance to throw with for the first time at practice. And the fact that he had such a good day one of practice, talk to scouts that go to all-star games, seeing the quarterbacks and receivers that figure it out early on day one is a really good sign they can adapt to the NFL game very quickly. So I think everything pointed to Taekwon being the speed guy NFL scouts knew, but the ability to adapt very quickly to his quarterbacks and that ability to win as a route runner early on in practice really show that Taekwon, again, was more than a speed guy that NFL teams thought he could be a complete outside receiver. All right, so uh, moving down the list here to the next uh, player drafted by the Patriots from your game is uh, cornerback Jack Jones from Arizona State in the fourth round. And the Patriots, I, typically the Patriots, as like with Cole Strange, for example, and even with Taekwon, they fly right under the radar, right? Nobody knows who they're going to draft or where they're going. But a guy uh, with Jack Jones, it was a total opposite. They were all over Jack Jones the entire pre-draft process. They had a top 30 visit with him. They visited him out in Tempe. Uh, and I'm sure that they talked to him at the Shrine Bowl as well. We know about some of the off-field stuff. But what have instead of harping on that kind of stuff, I want to talk about how you've seen him grow and mature uh, since the transfer and all the things that went on with him early in his college career. No, I think the background that he, the issues he had at USC are really important because he's been very open about those issues past. And if you if you get a chance to talk to Jack, he is one of the most organic, authentic people you can meet. He's willing to own and say how he messed up in the Jack Jones kind of way he can because he knows he's grown from it. He's for all of his issues in the past, he's very confident of the man he is now. And I think the endorsements we receive from people at Arizona State and people at USC that have dealt with him since made me really excited to have him at the Shrine Bowl. And I think. One of the big reasons that Jack opted to come to the Shrine Bowl over all other All-Star games was because we had a robust interview process. Most All-Star games, eight, ten hours of interview time. We give NFL teams up to 24 hours of interview time with all of our players, meaning not only did every team talk to every guy, 
But teams like the Patriots got a long time to talk to Jack Jones in a structured environment. I think a lot of teams left the Shrine Bowl week. Unfortunately, Jack got hurt early on, so the on-the-field stuff wasn't there for him. But a lot of teams there felt really comfortable with Jack leaving the Shrine Bowl. They got a chance to interview him for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes for some teams at the Shrine Bowl. Basically got an NFL combine interview. I think Jack showed how authentic he is as a person and the growth he's had. On the field, it's easy to like. He's one of the best man cover corners in all of college football the last three years and certainly in this draft class. So the upside's there to be an outside guy or a top-end nickel. But I think teams want to make sure he can be a pro. And if you talk to Jack again, you'll feel right away, hey, this guy knows exactly who he is. He's grown a lot from when he was 18, 19 years old, and he's going to be a longtime NFL pro. And you got a chance to talk to him. The cornerback position, of course, it's it, it's so much about the mentality, and you have to be so confident. Did you get the sense of that that mentality from him in, in your interactions with him? Absolutely. I, I, Jack is the kind of person that when you believe in him, he's going to do he's going to run through a wall for you and do so much. I think he's had people in his life that maybe haven't believed in him after the incident he had as, as a younger player at USC. And when Arizona State kind of bought into him, he was ready to play, and he was one of their team leaders. And I think with New England, he's going to walk in the door and not only be appreciative for the opportunity, but ready to show the Patriots were right in drafting him early. And I think Jack is going to compete for a starting job right away. He's that talented, and if he's once he gets there and shows the Patriots he's exactly who they thought he'd be in terms of being a pro, I think he'll walk in the door and be one of their best cover corners in the building, and he'll feed off that confidence. He knows how good he can be. He knows that it was close to not being available for him after mistakes early in his life, and he'll take full advantage of New England. What about him? You mentioned the man coverage ability, watching him play. It, it takes me back to so many Patriots corners in that mold. You know, Malcolm Butler is one that comes to mind, has kind of had a similar, you know, checkered past, kind of like Jack in college, and went through it a little bit. It has that stickiness in, in coverage. But what about uh, Jack and man, do you think projects so well to what the Patriots do? Yeah, I think he's just really confident in the short area. He can press or even just stay tight and not press and really work well in the short area. I think his ability as a nickel corner will be an easy project. If they want to play him at nickel tomorrow at an NFL game, I think he can be a very good job. But on the perimeter, he plays bigger than his body type is. He could probably add a little bit more weight. I'm sure New England will beef him up a little bit when he's in there. But I think he can be a 190, 195-pound corner, but still hold on the outside. He's a guy that uses great subtle hand movements. He's got extremely fluid hips, and I think he can really run with long striders at a very high level, as well as, say, physical with shorter guys. But I think his short area quickness and, and fluidity allows him to be a great nickel and a great short area slot corner or, or you know, depending on its quick slants. But the ability to get vertical and have that top end speed is why I think he could be an outside guy for a long time. Yeah, and one more question on Jack. I hate to play this game, but if he doesn't have the off-field stuff uh, going on with him early on in his career – where do you think he gets drafted with no, you know, kind of flags as we, as we call them? Because I feel like he's a guy that they looked at and said, you know, this is probably a day two guy at the least if he, everything goes well for him. And he, even if he has to transfer just playing in power five and playing as well as he did. Yeah. I think for Jack, between the, the questions some teams had, and I'm not sure how many teams really had lingering questions, if not just overarching, Hey, we'll opt for a different corner because he has no baggage compared to, what Jack came through. But I think if you add the fact that he also had a transfer to Arizona state and kind of get used to a new defense and get settled there. I think if he's in one, if he's at USC for three years, I think we're talking about a first round pick. No doubt. That's the kind of talent Jack Jones has. And to get him in round four, I thought was a steal. You're, you're right. I had pegged the Patriots to take Jack Jones ahead of the draft as well, but to get him in round four. And again, legitimately, I think he's a guy that can and will challenge to start 
week one outside or at nickel corner, it's an incredible value for them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next yeah. one. I'll oh, go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say to to move on to Pierre Strong, who yeah. who personally is one of my favorite players in this class. I think those do it all backs in in a day where the games being so specialized are incredibly rare. But um, you know what what the Patriots really need coming in here is a guy who can play on third down, a guy who can catch the football, a guy who can contribute and pass pro. Uh, statistically, Pierre Strong didn't do a ton of that at South Dakota State. It seems like he has the skill set to be a contributor in that sense. Is that something you saw from him? Absolutely. And and I think for Pierre Strong, like a lot of college running backs nowadays, it's not that they can't do it, that their offense didn't allow them to show right. it, right? South Dakota State needed Pierre Strong to be a workhorse at running back. I think the two things Pierre Strong does really well and showed at the Shrine Bowl, especially for the All-Star Games, can really be for is one, he's a way more nuanced route runner than I think South Dakota State allowed him to show, right? He can run those Texas routes. He can run swing routes. He can adjust after the catch and get up field. Again, he's a straight line. I'd really think a zone blocking running back where he puts his foot in the ground and goes up field. He can do that as a pass catcher very, very well. So I think he'll he'll still grow there in development, but certainly the Patriots feel he can grow there very quickly. They draft him to kind of be that kind of guy. The other piece, though, very important for Pierre Strong, I think he's one of, if not the best pass blocking running backs in this entire draft class. And a lot of NFL teams felt he would go late day two, early day three because of that skill set. There's not many running backs in this 2022 draft class that can be, you know, first, second down running backs as well as hold a point of attack as a pass blocker. Pierre did that well in college. He did it extremely well at the East West Shrine Bowl. I think a lot of NFL teams said, hey, you know what? This guy can come in at the very, very least. He can be a rotational first, second down guy and be a guy we can trust early on in his career as a, as a pass blocker. I think for the Patriots, maybe an issue they had a year ago at that position, pass blocking, Pierre's going to be that guy, I think, right away as a rookie and have a real role on just pass blocking downs. And if he can continue to get better as a pass catcher, I think he'll have a huge role in this Patriots offense in no time. I know at the Shrine Bowl, you guys had some people there that were clocking actual speeds on the field. I saw a tweet about Pierre, the screen that he took to for a touchdown in the game, clocking him at over almost 21 miles an hour, I, I think it was. His speed is definitely something that I think stands out to all of us, and obviously with that 40 time. But the two guys that they got here at on the skill positions with Taekwon and Pierre, I'm sure those guys were among the fastest guys that you guys had at the Shrine Bowl this year. Absolutely. We had a lot of fast guys. Isaiah Pacheco, the running back at uh, and Ty Chandler, both ran in the four threes of the combine. We're also alongside Pierre Strong. And we had obviously Tyquan Thornton's college teammate, Kalen Barnes, who had one of the fastest 40s ever. So it was a lot of speed on the field. And I think for Pierre, what he shows on film and, and definitely the Shrine Bowl as well in that screen pass is, again, once he can put his foot in the ground and get straight up the field, he runs a little bit upright. So you don't realize how fast he's moving until you see that miles per hour or the 40-yard dash time. But he can really separate very, very quickly. And it's clear the Patriots and those two players in particular want a guy who can play right away for a real role, Taekwondo being an outside guy who's very mature and NFL-ready, Pierre being the pass blocker, pass catcher, and first, second down, you know, zone-blocking runner. Both those guys will add speed right away, can compete for roles as, far, as early as week one, but really have long-term upside to be feature players in their offense. You also mentioned the zone blocking because I, I found it interesting that the Patriots drafted Cole Strange in the first round, obviously, and he's another guy that was in a pretty zone-heavy offense at Chattanooga, and Pierre was at a pretty he zone-heavy offense in South Dakota State. And the Patriots, meanwhile, are still pulling guards and playing with fullbacks and things like that, so it's not exactly the exact uh, the same scheme. But did you see Pierre run behind pullers, run behind more gap schemes? And do you think that that translates, his skill set will translate if they still stick with that kind of offense? 
Yeah, we'll see how much man they end up playing this year. I think they're doing a little bit of a, of a roster changeover and maybe shifting towards more zone. I think Pierre has shown a little bit with that, but but no doubt it's an area that he didn't see a lot of in college. He was a guy that was patient and exploding up the field. As a man man blocking running back, you got to be even a little more patient and work laterally before getting upfield. So I think he's much better suited for those zone blocking concepts. But Pierre's an experienced guy. He has that stop start ability. And again, even a short shuttle and three-cone drill were fine at the NFL Combine. He's got the lateral wiggle and may take him a little bit of time to kind of get really used to a man-blocking team if they use that. But again, I think early on in his career, he's going to be that pass-blocking, pass-catching, and zone-blocking only running back. If the Patriots want to do more man, I think they'll just kind of ease him into that over time. Makes sense. All right, uh, last one here on the draft class. And I, this one, I really want Eric's insight in terms of the background of Sam yeah. Roberts and where, where he come from. I'll admit, you know, Alex and I, we we do a lot of homework for the draft, but this one obviously was was off our, our spreadsheets <laughs> and everything when the Patriots drafted Sam Roberts in the sixth round. But you look into the player and obviously uh, the Cliff Harris Award and the prestige of that award and the Patriots have another player in Kyle Duggar on their roster who also uh, won the Cliff Harris Award. How did you guys find Sam, and, and what made you want to bring him to Vegas this year? Well, first off, I hope you with your spreadsheet next year. Make sure Sam Roberts and guys like that are on and available for, for next year's class for the Patriots. Sam, you know, the awards are there. I think he's been an impact guy as a pass rusher, as a run defender. One of the great things about him winning that award is that even though he was productive in college, he made way more of an impact even beyond his stats. He was consistently high motor, really, really dominant upfield penetrator playing zero tech, one tech, three tech, working outside of the perimeter. So he did a lot of different things for his defense and played at a very high level throughout. A couple of things that come to mind with Sam, first off, very wide player, right? He plays very wide. He has a wide frame. He's able to kind of eat up space and gaps at a very high level without even moving laterally too much. He's wide. He's able to stay low point of attack and get upfield very quickly. And the finishing ability wasn't as good this year. I think a lot of defenses, I'm sorry, a lot of offenses at his level kind of schemed away from him a little bit, but he can still make those plays upfield when he can penetrate and shoot the gaps. And I think he's going to be best early on as that kind of sub package guy to really impact the game in wide zone teams and a lot of zone blocking teams because he's wide, quick off the snap, and can really flow to the ball. He'll be a huge impact there, but he's got a lot of upside to get better. Great kid, high character kid, obviously well regarded and well award winner. Um, but I think he has a chance to get a lot better in college. Again, coming from that D2 level to the NFL, it's a big jump. Hopefully give him a chance to kind of slowly get his feet wet. But I think he can really have a role by the either week one or during his rookie season, again, in that run defending role, in defending those wide zone and inside zone stuff that a lot of teams want to run against the Patriots. The the other thing that stood out about him, at least looking at his college numbers, the five blocked kicks in four years. And yeah. it's, you know, it's tough to go and find that. Like, what did you see in his game? Is that... Was that circumstance or is that something that transfers where he can kind of be a menace on special teams in that way? No, it transfers in the run game too, where he's just got really good feel and instincts. He's able to get quick off the snap, get low and get initial contact very, very well. And if you can consistently do that at any level of football, you're going to impact the run game, the pass game, the pocket or on special teams. And I think that twitch, that low knee bend and that wide base that he has allows him to kind of win off the snap really easily. And in the run game, he's able to kind of stop the flow of traffic on the A and B gap. In the, in the kicking game, again, with some lower kickers at the D2 level, plus his size and length, I think he's able to have a really big impact there for sure. And we've seen guys who are field goal blockers go as early as the second round. Las Vegas Raiders did it five, six years ago with P.J. Hall. And that's a real role NFL teams want to fill. So if Sam can be this depth, three-tech, five-tech, hybrid-type player, plus the impact on the field goal block, that's a steal of a six-round pick. And I think they're really happy they got him. Yeah, that was kind of what stood out to me, too, is the field goal blocks because – 
especially as a sixth round pick, he's going to have to make the team on special teams probably initially. So to be able to stand out there and like you said, the Patriots 25th in the league last year against the run. So if, they, if he can come in and be sturdy, uh, uh, like a five tech, like you mentioned, and, and then rush the kicker as well on special teams, I, I could definitely see a, a role for Sam on the team. All right. We got two more to ask you about Eric. I go into the undrafted free agent world now and uh, the first one I think is really interesting to a lot of Patriots fans uh, they worked him out a bunch of times but in the pre-draft process and that's De'Eric King the quarterback from Miami and with De'Eric I, I had read that he actually ran some routes uh, at the East-West Shrine Bowl uh, this year and that's uh, I think something that perks the Patriots fans ears up like is this guy the next Julian Edelman or something like that that they're going to transition from quarterback to wide receiver so specifically I wanted to ask you about his route running and what you saw from him as a receiver when he worked out there yeah you know I, I talked to a, a lot of scouts last year or two Derek's been in the market or, or in the minds of NFL scouts for a while and if you go back and watch it I want to say at this point is 2018 or 2019 Houston film when he was playing receiver as a freshman or sophomore really good as a route runner back then he, he's no he's not a new to the position type of guy he's done it at the college level you know not that much but but it has the film that you can watch and go see him as a route runner and he could be a really effective I think slot route runner as well a lot of NFL teams had different positions for De'Ara King there were some teams that graded him as a late round pick high PFA quarterback some teams thought he'd be a great running back and, and kind of a Tariq Cohen type of guy some teams said hey we want to try him out a kick returner but I think most teams said hey because of his football IQ, his pass at quarterback, and his ability to play receiver that he showed in college, receiver makes the most sense. He ran routes in the Shrine Bowl, only one day's work, but I think NFL teams saw pretty quickly, hey, he fits in. He looked like an NFL receiver compared to the you know 12 other NFL receivers he was going against as a receiver and, and got separation as a, as a receiver against our top corners. Now, again, I wouldn't say to plug and play him as a guy who's going to run 15, 20, 30 routes in a game as a rookie most likely, but I think the chance, if you can stash him on the practice squad for a year, find out if he can add value situationally, um, including as a quarterback, as a running back, as a returner, as a receiver, and kind of see where he fits in your offense on special teams, because I think he can fill multiple roles. It wouldn't surprise me if at the Patriots or if somebody else gets their hand on him in, in his career, he can be a third quarterback, fourth running back, third receiver, and backup kick returner. That alone has a ton of value. That's what NFL teams were excited about. So I was surprised he was not drafted, very surprised. And for the Patriots to steal him an undrafted free agency is a huge win. Yeah, that's kind of how I looked at it. I, It's an imperfect comparison, but Taysom Hill's role, but King yep. obviously smaller, more of a slot receiver than, than Hill is more the traditional tight end in that sense and kick returner versus kick coverage. But um, I want to ask you about, about the kick return element. Did he get to do any of that? And, and was there particularly interest in that? Because it's something he did early in his career in college and then kind of went away from, but something I remember him being good at early on in Houston. No, unfortunately, he didn't kick return or punt return stuff at the East-West Shrine Bowl. He was bouncing between quarterback and receiver, and he had enough going on his plate. And again, he had real interest at receiver and quarterback from right. teams, so we don't want to take those snaps away. But you're right, he's done it early in his career, and I think a lot of teams felt confident he could pick it back up uh, for sure at the NFL level. All right, last one here for you, Eric. This is a guy from Alabama, so that one, obviously, you know, we all know the Alabama roster pretty good up here. But I have to admit, uh, Alex here, he told me about LeBron Ray uh, months ago, Alex. I, I don't even remember the first time he mentioned his name to me. Uh, but uh, first got on our radar, I think we took him in a mock draft in like the sixth or seventh round one time when we did one of those uh, live mock drafts that I think we got like two picks right the entire draft. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, LeBron Ray, what can you tell us about him? 
kind of a guy that got lost a little bit at Alabama, but seems to have a lot of talent. Yeah, a lot of talent. Former top, I think, four or five-star recruit coming into Alabama and really played a similar role to Fedarian Mathis, second-round pick this year. That long, bigger, five-tech, three-tech hybrid kind of guy can impact the game. Unfortunately, just the last two years, been really hurt by injuries. Nothing long-term. I don't think teams have long-term issues with LeBron's injuries, but just hasn't been able to be on the field. And even before the Shrine Bowl, was hoping to get healthy. We all opted, me, his agent, his team, decided, hey, you know what, not worth practicing during the week. But again, he got a chance to interview with NFL teams, including the Patriots. And I think he had a chance to be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, meet with every NFL team, including some teams like the Patriots, for multiple times and for 15, 20, 30 minutes. And I think as a player, as a person, very high character kid, knows he has some injuries he has to overcome. But again, none of them lingering was on the right track in rehab. He's done a great job in rehab, and I think he's ready to go, if not for training camp, much, much sooner. But I think he's a player that you may be able to get look back in a couple of years and say, wow, we got a third, fourth-round pick, if not more, undrafted, right? If he was healthy the last two years at Alabama, he's working on that rotation. And we all know if you're an Alabama defensive lineman, you're not getting out of the top 100, 125 picks. So if he can be an Alabama lineman for the Patriots and be healthy, I think he'll be a great value. But high-character guy, former five-star recruit, when he did play, really, really flash, really had a huge impact, and he interviewed very well in this draft process. I think if and when he gets healthy, it'll be a major steal for the Patriots to start working him in their rotation. Is that Evan? You got anything else on the Pats guys? Do we have time for like two more players? <laughs> yeah, Alex wants to ask you about a yeah. few non-Pats guys. One guy, yeah. I'm gonna steal him from you, Alex. Uh, one okay. guy in particular that we have been uh, banging the table here for the Patriots to draft or get their hands on was Marpon McCall from Kentucky, and uh, he didn't end up signing with the Patriots as a UDFA. But I'm actually shocked that he didn't get drafted. I, I thought that he was yeah. going to be drafted and. Uh, we, I watched, you know, Cole Strange actually against Marquan in, in that Chattanooga game. And even Cole Strange had a pretty tough time moving that guy off the ball. So uh, what do you see about Marquan? And maybe he'll make his way to New England down the road at some point. Yeah, extremely surprised he wasn't drafted. You know, looking at that NFL combine history, combine guys that are 340 plus that get invited that just can walk and chew gum usually get drafted. So I'm not sure what happened with him. I think. Um, I forget where he signed, but certainly a good value to get him after the draft as well, too. But Mark Wan's a guy really tough to move. Now, he's not a pass rusher. He still has to get a little bit better there and showed some of that one-on-one -on -one pass rush ability, especially as a bull rusher at the East-West Shrine Bowl. But needs to kind of develop that part of his game. But as an impact run defender, really, really impressive. We saw Quentin Bohana a year ago go in the sixth round. I think most scouts would agree that Mark Wan looks better on film this past year than Quentin did two years ago. And I think – Getting a guy who's that big, that has high character, that has a really high motor for a guy that size, really, really important for Mark Juan. Always plays with a high motor and can really impact the run game as a zero or one tech. Very surprised he wasn't drafted, but I think he'll have a chance to probably go somewhere. And, hey, for nose tackles, if you can be effective as a bigger guy and play zero or one, they don't care if you're a first-round pick or an undrafted guy. Those guys are very hard to find. I have a good feeling that Mark Juan McCall is going to make good on being an undrafted free agent for some team. Yeah, again, a guy we really liked. I think the, the viewers and listeners of the show are familiar with. And then one other guy from your game who, again, we talked a lot about, I talked a lot about, I, I kind of uh, stumbled on him late in the process, but ended up being one of my favorite prospects in this draft was Dallas Flowers. He's off to the Colts. Uh, just what what was your read on him? Oh, so much fun to watch. I, I remember watching him on a film the first time, and I'm like, I'm not sure if this guy's a receiver, a running back, a safety, a corner, character early, but he is explosive. And again, another surprise that he wasn't drafted because he tested very well, very dynamic player, can play some slot, can play strong safety. Again, he was an impact returner 
at the college level as well, too. And a guy who interviewed with a real chip on his shoulder. A lot of small school players have that chip. Dallas has a big chip in a good way, but really wants to be special, really wants to be great. And I'm actually happier that he – I'm surprised, but happier he went undrafted. I think he'll be a much better player in the NFL because he's going to want to prove every team wrong, even the team that signed him, the Colts, that they should have drafted him as well. So I think he's got a great chance for a long NFL future. But explosive, dynamic, versatile guy who was great at the Shrine Bowl, great in interviews. A lot to overcome, but I think he'll be an NFL player for a while. Any more, Alex? Or is, is that, that no, those <laughs> those are my two. I mean, it's a, mostly a Patriots show, but I two of my favorite prospects in the draft. I had to I, I had to get your your opinion on them. I, I was hoping the Patriots. I obviously they took Bailey Zappi in the fourth round, but they did a lot of homework on EJ Perry, the the local guy from yeah. the Northeast. Here. I was hoping he'd be the kind of guy they develop behind Mac Jones. But EJ's in, in Jacksonville now and have a good chance to have a long career. But one of my favorite quarterbacks I got a chance to evaluate. Talked to a lot of NFL teams about EJ and, and thought he'd stay in the Northeast with the Patriots, but we'll see how Bailey Zappi does instead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we were all a little bit surprised that they took a quarterback as early as the fourth round. I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had EJ Perry in a mock draft too, Alex, at some point. Really uh, did, as a, yep. Yeah, as a Patriots backup QB prospect. So, Erica, thank you so much. I'll, I'll tell you now, I'm going to make it to the Shrine Bowl one of these days very soon. That is my, my goal. I, I've always wanted to come to that the Shrine Bowl, so I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna be there next year uh, as long as the Patriots are not still playing, uh, which uh, I you know we'll see. So uh, I'll definitely uh, be there soon, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, tell everybody where they can follow you and anything else you want to plug. Uh, go right ahead. No, that's it. We're we're on 2023, so watch out for a lot of uh, content for the 2023 NFL Draft starting as soon as. You know, May 9th, we're already well ahead there on our scouting process. And you can follow me at Eric Alco on Twitter or at Shrine Bowl uh, on, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok as well. So excited to get going for next year. We're proud of our guys, proud of our 45 draft picks. Hoping to have many, many more next year and on to next year for sure. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that baseball is back and the start of the Major League Baseball season is finally here. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, that was awesome stuff. Uh, I'm glad that we got Eric on. He's the man, and we really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to hang around for another 30 minutes or not, uh, or so here, excuse me. And uh, Alex, I think that one thing that stood out to me uh, about where Eric kind of took that conversation when uh, we talked about Jack Jones and and when we talked about uh, Pierre Strong is something that I've been thinking about and was going to probably write about this week. And he mentioned Jack Jones being a very good man coverage corner. So we can start there. I think we have talked a lot about on this show, other people have talked about in the Patriots community that the Patriots could be switching to more zone uh, in the defensive secondary. And, and that might be a direction that they go in in the post JC Stephon Gilmore era it kind of feels like that Jack Jones and I would also put Marcus Jones, the other Jones in that category are, are man corners, right? Are guys that are probably going to play more man. Uh, do we jump the gun a little bit, maybe thinking that, uh, 
that was something that the Patriots were going to do. And now all of a sudden here we have two man coverage corners back at the top of the draft. I, I still don't know. Jack Jones is what? Five, nine, right? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. No, Jack Jones is a little taller than that. He's like five ten, five eleven. Okay. I look, I, and I, and when we were talking about the man thing, I said too, at the time, I think they'll play more man. I never think, I never thought they'd be primary man. I still think they'll play more. Man. Uh, I still think they'll, uh, let's try that again. Still catching up on sleep. Um, I said at the time, I think they'll play more zone. I never thought they'd become a primary zone team, right? Jack Jones, five eleven. Thank you, chat. Um, I, I, I thought that they would be more zone. And I still do believe that. I still do think that at least early in the season, these guys are, are kind of still a little raw, right? Got to, got to go through the feeling out process, but it is, no, it is encouraging to hear that because I think even if they go zone this year and kind of what I always thought of this conversation was. They're going to go zone while they have to, but ideally they would like to eventually switch back to man, right? Um, yeah. I think it's just kind of a they don't know the per, they don't know the personnel. At least prior to the draft, they didn't have the personnel to to play as much man as they traditionally did. They might be closer to that now. Jack Jones, um, and, and I'm blanking on the name of the kid they signed from Tarleton State. Uh, you know, six one, two hundred ten pound, another boundary corner. They might be getting back that way. So if Jones catches on quick, right? Jack Jones catches on quick. If Malcolm Butler looks good, then maybe they, you know, can can facilitate that switch back to man as quick as possible. If not, it might take another year or two for these guys to get comfortable. But yeah, I never thought they were going full zone, and I think that this kind of uh, confirms that that there may be more, but it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be a dot. They're not going to be a dominant zone team. Yeah, I just want to get the name. Do you have the name off the top of your head? I want to get the name of that player. Uh, of Devin, Devin. Oh my God, yeah, that's who you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now uh, I, Devin Hafford. There it Devin is. Devin Hafford. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we should know that one. Devin Hafford. There we go. All right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I've talked to Marcus Jones's college coach. Uh, I did a, a feature on Marcus Jones that you can find on CLNSmedia.com today, and he talked about how he felt like Marcus was a day one starting slot corner in the man coverage scheme, right? Like he's a guy yes. that he feels like is going to play in the slot is going to play man. I think that Eric hit the nail on the head with, with the Jack Jones kind of evaluation scouting report, his ability to play man coverage. So I do find that interesting that they're still at least targeting man guys. I also find it interesting just to look at the size of both these guys, right? That they're, the Juwan Williamses of the world, those picks, at least for this draft, are out the door. And they kind of did the same thing at receiver, spinning it to another senior bull guy with Tyquan Thornton, where they went completely away from the Nikhil Harry prototype and went with a smaller, faster receiver and, and a guy like Tyquan. But uh, what do you do? You read anything into the smaller corners, or do you think it's just kind of a coincidence that both of those guys ended up being a little bit shorter? Well, I mean, look, they had to take a. A slot corner, right? The slot corner was a need. Jonathan Jones on an expiring contract. Slot corners are usually on the smaller side, right? So that yeah. I, I don't. Everybody knocking Marcus Jones for his size, I really can't. I, I, I don't get it. I think you're, you're missing the point, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just trying to pull up here. Um, what Jack Jones? I guess she, I guess he didn't measure in at the uh, Shrine Bowl. Um, yeah, he was about five eleven. I, he he doesn't weigh a whole lot, but yeah, he he's he's bi definitely bigger than somebody like here. I, I got it for you. Uh, he's five ten and three fourths and one seventy one, so he's nearly okay. five eleven. 
Um, he's a quarter of an inch under 5'11". So a little bit bigger. I, I look at Jack Jones as a guy that I think can play on the outside for them. I, I would venture to say that... I think he can too. Yeah, I'd venture to say yeah. at that size, I, I don't know if I have uh, like Malcolm Butler's exact height when he came out uh, handy, but at that size, I, I can't imagine that he was not, you know, you know, Malcolm Butler, they, they had him at the... I think at his pro day at, at five nine and uh, almost five ten. So he he was actually Malcolm Butler was five 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 eleven one ninety coming out. Right. So they're about the same size, right? I yeah, mean, and the other that's the other thing too, like the weight. I don't these guys, especially like if it's not Alabama or Georgia, right? Yeah. They they the the weight program in college, as much as we talk about, you know, college athletes, it's all they do and blah blah blah. You know, they're overworked and all that, which is true which is true. And that's, you know, the NLI stuff is good. And that's another discussion that's going on, but they don't have the same training program. NFL players do. They just don't. These got a lot of guys when they get into the league relatively quickly, they'll put, they can put on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle if they need to. And so I look at Jack Jones at 171. All right. He'll probably play around 180. Right. 185, 511, 180, 185. Is he the biggest corner in the league? No, he's not like, you know, uh, he's not one of those corners. They, the, the phrase they used to use in uh, ESPN NFL 2K5. He's not going to be juggling bowling balls out there. But that's for his speed, for as fast yeah. as he is, That that's if he can get to that point, he'll be in really good shape to play there. So, again, I, I, I think he can play on the outside. I think they'll get him where he needs to be in terms of his physical shape. It is very different than Juwan Williams. And, and like you said, the Taekwon Thornton, Keel Harry thing, and I made this comparison I think it was when we did the show on Friday, right? I compared it to that Seinfeld episode where George yeah. goes against all of his instincts and suddenly his yeah. life rules when he starts not listening to his instincts. Nikhil Harry and Juwan Williams didn't work out. So what do they go out and they do? They draft the opposite of Nikhil Harry and the opposite of Juwan Williams. And really with, with the receiver, they draft the opposite of all the receivers they've been drafting for the last 10 to 15 years. I like that strategy. It, it doesn't guarantee the players are going to pan out, but if you stuck with a certain prototype for so long and you're struggling to develop that prototype of player, well, then maybe it's time to move on to another type of player. And I think that's what they did. Yeah. The other thing, and just to wrap up the defense, I do want to move over to offense and, yeah. and something that Eric said there as well. Defensively, you look at the teams in the division and some of the, the players that they're going to have to go up against in the division, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle in Miami, uh, guys like Isaiah McKenzie, they now added Khalil Shakur in Buffalo too, who can run from the slot as well. Elijah Moore with the Jets. And, and I think that these two corners, Jack Jones and Marcus Jones, assuming that one of them pans out, if not both, I think those guys will fill in with Jonathan Jones to help run with those types of players, right? I, I When I talked to Marcus Jones as his coach, he, you know, uh, Dave Rowe, he told me that he felt like Marcus – was probably like a four three five guy in the forty yard dash, right? And that's, I mean, that's a crazy amount of speed. So having two of those guys, like, like Marcus and like Jack Jones, that can go out there and run with Tyree Kill, run with Jalen Waddle, they're going to need those guys. And I think they look at sort of the landscape of the league, and everybody's just getting faster. Everybody's getting faster at the receiver position. They just got a guy that's runs a four two eight. So I think they know that it's not enough to just have one track guy like, like John Jones. They need to have multiple guys that, that can run well. 
And I think that that's the goal there with a lot of these picks. And I think Marcus Jones is going to be a heck of a player. That That's another one of those guys that has really grown on me along with uh, Taekwon. Uh, moving over to offense here for a little bit. I think the number one thing that I, I think stands out from everything that I've seen about Cole Strange, everything that I've uh, kind of uncovered about him, and then what I heard Eric say about Pierre Strong, is that both of those guys were – majors in zone-based blocking, right? Zone uh, run blocking, especially outside right. zone. The Patriots are one of these teams that runs downhill. They're a power gap scheme. We've seen fullback lead. We've seen power. We've seen counter, uh, pulling guards. You know, that's kind of their scheme. Now, uh, we kind of knew because of Jakob Johnson that the Patriots might be going away from the traditional fullback. They might be going away from that tra- traditional gap schemes altogether, man schemes. And I think that that's just a, an interesting thing as well uh, to look forward to. And the one thing that I think stands out too from Matt Groh and some of the things that he said is trying to mimic the college game more on offense because the Patriots offense, it, the playbook, uh, whether it's the route trees that they have the receivers run or it's the zone base or the man base blocking schemes, it's a big transition for a lot of these guys in college because the the college teams just don't do it right. They don't do, they don't run their right. offenses that way. So a guy like Pierre strong four, three, seven, a great speed, great one cut downhill ability. Then you have a guy like Cole strange is uh, reach blocking and uh, comboing on that inside zone. That's kind of his cup of tea. Maybe the Patriots could be in for an even bigger offensive overhaul. I think we've talked a lot about how they're going to adapt to Mac Jones in the passing game, but the spread element of their offense could be trickling down to the run game here too, as well. Yeah, it it really does feel like they're trying to modernize the offense. I'm still not convinced they're going to be a zone thing. The the thing I wonder with Cole Strange is if they think he can play tackle. I, I can't get away from this thought. When we talked to Matt Grow, you know, I, it might have actually been you who asked the, the question. I don't remember who it was that night that they took uh, or the night after they took him and Grow, you know, about, oh, the guard center versatility. You like that? And Grow was like, well, he can play all the offensive line spots, right? Like he made a point of saying that they think he can play tackle. He's built more like a Patriots tackle than a Patriots guard. You look at him, he's built like a guy like Nate Solder, right? Yeah. Who, who, who was, you know, came off as a tight end. He doesn't have a ton of experience playing tackle. I don't know that he has the footwork that they would want to tackle, but the the trends tell us, right, the way the Patriots draft that spot, if they're moving on from Isaiah Wynn, that spot is where they would take his replacement. And I'm not saying that that they only see Cole Strange as a tackle or any of that. I'm just, I, I, want, I think that there's a long-term plan for him to at least get a shot there. Yeah. And he he's probably more of a traditional blocking tackle than a zone tackle. If he's playing out there at guard, obviously he's his own guard. I think the, I, I, I just, I think they see him as a tackle. I think they ultimately want him playing tackle. Maybe it's not this year, but at some point I think that's his position. I also kind of feel like with the Patriots, just to build off of your point, they, they tend to have guys fail out. Like they have them start out and then they, and they move them inwards, right. Instead of the other way around. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, a guy like Michael Onwenu, for example. Nobody even ever imagined that he would play tackle in the NFL. Right. No, no team was grading him at tackle in the draft. He didn't and, know. He hadn't played yeah. it since high school. Right. And, and a guy like Isaiah Wynn, kind of the opposite. Everybody, you know, 
he's a tackle and the Patriots keep him at tackle. And then I think if it didn't go well at tackle and they would have moved him inside to guard. So I, I watch Cole strange in pass protection. And I, I think that he's got some rawness in him in pass pro. And I know everybody's seen the senior bowl clips against Travis Jones and all that kind of stuff. His anchor and some of his issues that he has on in the interior and in pass protection might be masked a little bit more at tackle, quite frankly, where he's not facing 320-pound interior lineman like Travis Jones on a weekly basis. He is dancing with some of the younger, uh, younger, uh, lighter guys, right, on right. the outside. Maybe that is a way to go about it. I mean, against Kentucky last year, there's a lot of reps where he's got tackle feet. I mean, guy can really move, right? You know, he's got that range and that ability to re- move laterally and kick and, and uh, really be able to protect his edge. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that could be somebody something that they do. I just, I, I can't escape that thought. I can't. There, there, there's too many breadcrumbs, right? Um, and again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen right away. Um, this is again what we saw them do with Soldier. They drafted him to play left tackle, but then because of injuries, he he was a right tackle his rookie year, and, and Matt Light was still on the roster, and then Matt Light retires, and they move him over. So, is you know, is the plan for him to play th- left guard this year just to hold him over and then put him at, at left tackle next year, like? I just I, I think at some point down the road that that's a plan and it would the pick would make a lot more sense too if they see him as a tackle because every you know a, a big reason and and for the most part I'm kind of done with the overdrafted conversation the draft is in the books we don't need to rewrite it but a lot of the reason he was a player with his skill set was projected as low as he was is simply positional value guards aren't valued as high you rarely see guards go in the first round. If they see him as a tackle, well, developmental tackles can go at the end of the first round. Tyler Smith, right, right went at the end of the first round. We talked about Bernard Raymond possibly going in that range. Um, I, it, it would make a lot more if they saw him as a tackle. That pick makes a ton more sense. Yeah, uh, I, I can hear the argument for it certainly, and it'll be interesting to see when we get out there, even just at OTAs at the end of the month when we're allowed in if he is working out at at tackle at all, and if they do move him outside. All right, one last thing here, and then we're going to wrap it. Mac Wilson spoke earlier today. I think one of the bigger topics that was brought up with him, and he mentioned the confidence in the linebacker room and how he thinks that they have a lot of really good guys. Obviously, what else is he going to say? Right, He's not going to say they all stink. But the fact that the Patriots didn't draft linebacker, it is really interesting. Obviously, I think Mac Wilson is a big part of that. I, f- I feel like he was a pseudo draft pick or acquisition, whatever way you want to look at it. They certainly are treating Cameron McGrone uh, like he is an d- additional draft pick to this rookie class after he redshirted last year. So how do you how do we feel? Uh, what's our temperature about the fact that they stayed away from linebacker and this is the group that they're going to roll with and then maybe as a domino effect also – playing guys like Jabril Peppers, Adrian Phillips, Kyle Duggar, a lot of those guys are going to play a lot of reps in the box, it seems like. So uh, I guess that's a two-part question, but we can answer both of them. Yeah, I, I again, I, I think they like their linebacker group. And look, they have Juwan Bentley for early downs. Like that, we'll see what happens with Hightower. He could come back too, but they have their run-stopping linebacker. Yeah. It's who's going to play next to him, who's going to be the smaller, quicker sideline, a sideline guy that they just didn't have last year, period. And I think between Cameron McGrone, who they seem to like the best, but I think between Cameron McGrone, Raekwon McMillan, and I'll throw Therese Hall in. I know, you know, people talk about those first two. I really liked what I saw from Therese Hall in 2020. 
I liked him at Missouri. I can see him in that role. They just got to hit on one of those three guys. And I think it, this is kind of how they view it, right? What are the odds each of those guys hits? Even if it's 50-50 with three guys, you have a really good shot at finding a player there. So yeah. I, I, I think between those guys, they feel like they're good. The other two guys will give depth. And then maybe they dip into the UDFA pool or they, they grab somebody after roster cuts, right? I, I always thought, Nevin, we talked about this. Linebacker was a luxury need. It was at the top of their luxury needs, but they did enough in acquiring. And I should, by the way, talking about those three guys, Mac Wilson as well. Um, so between those four guys, one of those guys panning out, um, yeah. they have the other three for depth. I, I think in bringing in Mac Wilson and, and having Cameron McGrone back from next year, from last year, I think they feel like they have enough. I think it became a luxury need. I think they had more pressing needs and, they're, they're going to bet on their own guys to pan out. That's not always a bad bet to make. It's not. Um, I just, I, I understand. I, again, I think linebacker was overtalked as a need. I don't think it was the need everybody else thought it was. Yeah, I think for me, and maybe I did overhype the need at linebacker because I was looking at it from, they don't have anybody that I feel on their roster is on like Dante Hightower's level when he was coming out of Alabama, right? Like that really right. true stud inside linebacker that, it's going to have the whole thing operate through him. But Mac Wilson mentioned that he played a lot of will uh, linebacker in Cleveland system. So maybe, you know, Jawan Bentley is going to be your early down Mike, right? We, we know right. that that's yeah. his role. So maybe Mac Wilson on early downs is the guy that they play next to Jawan Bentley on the weak side. And that's kind of your first down tandem at linebacker. Then on second and third down, it's going to be the safeties, right? Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, uh, Jabril Peppers. I think those guys are going to come in and they're going to be the guys that are going to play in more passing situations. The one thing that I think, you know, looking back on the draft now and kind of wrapping this whole draft uh, conversation up, linebacker actually isn't the one that I'm scratching my head about as much. It's actually defensive line. And maybe Sam Roberts uh, with Eric kind of, you know, Eric did a really good uh, job pitching Sam Roberts to all of us and explaining what he can bring to the table with his power. So maybe they think that they found a, a diamond in the rough from the D2 level with a guy like Roberts. But we talked so much about, uh, we asked Eric about Marquan McCall, uh, DJ Davidson, uh, Noah Ellis, even uh, guys earlier in the draft like uh, Ridgeway from Arkansas or Travis Jones from UConn. If you're going to play some of these undersized linebackers or basically pseudo linebackers that are actually safeties that are on the roster as DBs. Uh, you better have some guys that can eat some blocks and occupy some gaps on the line of scrimmage and not going out and getting a true nose tackle in this draft that was really deep at true nose tackle. Uh, that's going to be something that I'm going to continue to monitor. I know they re-signed Carl Davis right before the draft. I didn't really yeah. think that was going to be anything any precursor to what they were going to do in the draft and it probably wasn't but maybe they really like carl davis they obviously like godshaw i just don't really see godshaw as an ideal uh three four odd front nose tackle right a guy that's gonna play right yeah right over the center so that was the one thing that maybe revisionist history i was like this was a good interior line class and especially at two gapping nose tackles it's just an interesting situation that they didn't take one of those guys or even sign one of those, those guys. Yeah. I was told that they weren't even remotely interested in Mark one, which I, I just find extremely shocking that they didn't even give it, give it a call to see if maybe they could bring them in as a UDFA. Yeah, that is a little surprising. They do have a, a, a history with weight guys. If the name Josh Augusta rings a bell, that was like yeah. 10 years ago at this point, but 
No, I, I, I thought, and, and especially when they've gone so heavy on the defensive line the last couple of drafts, it, it, it was becoming a trend. I thought there were a number of guys that were fits for them. You know, Perrion Winfrey falls all the way to day three was a guy I thought maybe on day three they'd move up and get. They had all those picks. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you. I'm more surprised that they didn't go with a, a defensive lineman uh, than I am that they didn't go with a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that about does it for this show here today. I really appreciate Eric coming on with us. That was great stuff. Great content. And we will be back on Thursday. I think we're going to do a Q&A on Thursday, Alex. We'll open it up. Well, we'll be hopefully the chat's just as positive on Thursday as it was today. <laughs> uh, I know. I, I love having guys like Eric on, though. And I, you know, I've seen Jim Nagy. He does his media tour every year after uh, the draft as well. Because so many, uh, they they can hype a guy up so well, right? Like they make yeah. a, a sixth round pick like Sam Roberts sound like an absolute slam dunk, and uh, it's not necessarily that we want to have them on because they're, they're you know they're going to just hype all these guys up. But I think it is important, especially after a draft like this where it's the coverage has been overly negative. I would say from a Patriots point of view to hear why they were interested in some of these guys and, and why they went out and targeted some of these guys. And I, I think that that's uh, something that's really nice to hear is to come in here. And uh, some of the, the things that Eric said, even for me, I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe I should be a little bit more positive about some of these players and, and be, uh, you know, a little bit more positive about the draft in general. So I think a Q and a on Thursday will be good. We'll open it up. I'm sure there's a lot of questions yeah. about, uh, with the direction of the team now following the draft and, and where things are headed schematically roster wise, you know, depth chart battles and things like that. So Alex and I will do a Q and a on Thursday and uh, we'll see you guys then. So until next time, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching everybody. Go Celtics. Uh, we didn't get to go Celtics in. So should we do, should we do a quick Celtic? A quick, all right, all right. Quick I'm going to the game. Here. We have time. Full disclosure. I'm leaving as soon as this show is over. So I'm extremely excited uh, to go to the game tonight. Give me your take on the Celtics. Am I going to go see a, a good game or not, Alex? Well, you, you jinx them when you're there. So I don't know. My, my biggest takeaway from game one, more defense to offense. They weren't pushing the ball enough. They were slow coming off, up the floor. They're trying to get into sets. They're letting the Bucks set up defensively. Brooke Lopez absolutely killed them Monster. in the paint. They, yeah. they were forced to shoot threes. They shot too many threes. You saw it when they ran the floor. When they ran the floor, the Bucks couldn't run with them. The Bucks are too clunky, for lack of a better term, to run with the Celtics fast break. They need to... Get the rebound or force turnovers, turn and sprint up the floor. Fast break points. That's the key to the turnaround for me for the Celtics. What'd you think of the Bruins last night? Wait, I got a Celtics thought. Oh, you got a Celtics quick. take? Okay. So I think the Celtics also, in my opinion, and I will admit that somebody smarter than me on our Celtics coverage is the first one to bring this up. I can't remember who exactly it was, but they got to tap into that like MJ Kobe mid-range game against this team, right? Because yeah. Jason Tatum is driving to the hoop and he's trying to get all the way to the rim. And Brooke Lopez is one of the best rim protectors in the league. And he's not going to just let Jason Tatum have it easy going down the lane, pull up, right. Hit a little, uh, a little 13, 12 footer, right. You know, make it, make those mid range jump shots. That's going to pull Brooke Lopez out a little bit more, a little bit more. And then you can go buy him and, and put it, you know, the layups up and, and get to the hole. So if I'm the Celtics too, uh, I'm telling them you got to get that mid-range jump shot going. If I'm Jalen, if I'm Jason, uh, that's where I'm looking to go. And I, I would try to get 
some of those things going here for the Celtics. Really quickly on the Bruins, I texted you last night this after the game. I'm not worried about the Bruins. I thought that was a cute win for Carolina, quite frankly. I, I thought the Bruins messed up, uh, made a lot of turnovers. Uh, that's what Carolina's game is, though, so I'll give them credit that that's kind of they put pressure on you and they want you to turn over the puck and create odd man rushes. But I, I didn't really think Carolina outplayed the Bruins last night. I think the Bruins kind of shot themselves in the foot. They had a lot of scoring opportunities. And towards the end of that game, they kind of let go of the rope, which I didn't like to see. So that was the one thing that maybe I'm a little bit oh, oh, a little bit not so hot about the Bruins right now. But I thought for two periods, the, the Bruins were the better team last night. And Carolina was just the more, you know, what's the word, the opportunistic team, right? Yeah, but this is what happens with the Bruins every year in the playoffs. We did this last year. We did it the year before. The year before that, they give you just enough reason to believe, and then it all falls yeah. apart. That was a typical Bruins playoff game where they played well enough that people can come on and say they played well enough, but they had a lot of shot attempts. I think a lot of them were not opportunistic. I think that they had a lot of empty shot attempts. I know people want to talk about Allmark. I don't think Allmark was great last night. I don't think it was the problem. You got to score more than a goal to win in the playoffs. It's just the reality of it. I thought the offense was stale at times. I thought the offense was flat at times. I thought they settled at times. They got to move the puck better. They got to be more aggressive, all of that. I am worried about the Bruins because this is what happens to them in the playoffs. The offense goes stale. They hit the littlest bit of uh, of um, of a road bump. Remember last year, it was knock missing that open net against the Islanders. They hit the littlest bit of a road bump. They fall apart. I need to see more life, more aggression from the offense in game two. Uh, do we want to do a quick, quick Red Sox thought? They what suck. are we That's talking about thought. the Red Sox? But last thing on the Bruins, just yeah. I, I just the reason why I'm not worried about them again is because I feel like with Carolina, they're one of those they're a counterattack team, right? Like they're one of those teams right. that's just kind of waiting for you to mess up. And if you just play your game and you take care of the puck and you do the smart things, you keep the puck along the boards and you don't give them goals so you don't hand them goals and also like that you know the last goal for example I think was such a great synopsis the whole night for the Bruins where he banks it in off of Omar's mask and it goes in the net like try to replicate that again right I know but you can I think you can but you can only be so conservative to you at a certain point you're you're conservative to a fault and that's what the Bruins have done in the playoffs they 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 need to. They need to put. They let Carolina put so much pressure on them, even though they were playing well early on. Carolina kept counterpunching and counterpunching, and they just just were absorbing blow after blow. It wasn't realistic. They need to give some of that back to Carolina. That's what I'm looking to see. That's what they didn't do last night. They had a good shift. Carolina had a good shift. The game got stagnant. They had a good shift. Carolina had a good shift. The game got stagnant. They need to have a good shift after Carolina has a good shift. That's what I'm waiting to see. So if the chat is correct, I, I guess Marcus and yeah, Smart. Yeah, Marcus Smart's out. So that sucks. Great. All right. That sucks. All right. I, I, I'm, I'm still that going, hurts. but now, now I'm going. with the You're already jinxing the game before you're even there. You oh, suck. Oh, my God. All right. Give, give me your Red Sox take. I don't even have a Red Sox take. I'm not even going to bother with that team. until How they start- is the team? They have no pitching. We knew they had no pitching. We knew they weren't going to have any pitching. Even the, the good – they have one, maybe two good pitchers on the roster. Garrett Whitlock rules. The rest I don't know. I – they were supposed to hit. They're supposed to win games yeah. eleven to eight, seven to four, et cetera, et cetera. They can't hit. What the hell is going on? They need to figure. And you know what it is? Remember in eighteen, the whole thing with that team when they won in eighteen was they worked pitchers down to the bone. They took so many pitches. They had guys in you know a hundred pitch counts in the fifth inning. They swing at everything now. Everything. 
They need to be more patient. It's ridiculous. They need to take more pitches, have a more nuanced approach, and they just won't do it. So I know he's not ready. I know that there's contractual things that are keeping him in Worcester. No, we're past that now. We're past that. How are we past it? May 1st. So so he can come up is what you're saying. Yeah, now it's just a matter of now it's just a matter of do they feel he's ready. That's what we're de- we're past we're past all the CBA bullcrap, Kevin. I know I you hate know. hearing that. It's not an excuse anymore. You are good. Let it go. I don't I have no I have absolutely no idea why Tristan Cassius is not on the big league roster right now. Where they're they're litter they're playing Bobby Dahlback, who can't hit. Can't hit, has hasn't hit all year long. And they got this guy in the minors. I get that he's not a, a, a hit for average guy, but he's in an absolute bombs down there in Worcester. Bring right. this guy up because you have at the end of the order, you got Bobby, you got JBJ. I, I get the JBJ defense thing, but if you can't have two guys that are batting under 200 at the bottom right. of the order. It's just a complete rally killer. Like every time they get some guys on base, it seems like at the end of these games too, how many times has JBJ been the last out of the game? It's, it's painful. So at some point you got to get some uh, get Tristan Cassius up here. I, I think enough is enough. I think that guy's got to play, and they got to see what they got at least. All right. And yeah. I, no, I I I agree. I, I I think it's and I would say too, Jaron Duran. They don't have a real right fielder. They're putting Arroyo out there. They're putting JD Martinez out there too. Right. Get get a real. They need a, a, a right fielder. And I know Jaron Duran is a lefty, but they need an outfielder who can hit lefties. Jaron Duran's splits actually suggest he's better against left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching. He's an anomaly in that sense. So Cass is certainly, but I'd like to see Jaron Duran up as well. There we go. I think we should have, uh, I'm going to ask Amit if he can make a new backer for the, the Boston Sports Minute. That always Yeah, we might have to like kind of, it's a show within a show. It's always the Boston Sports 10 minutes. It's never just a minute. So it's going to have to come up with a new name. Yeah. But maybe we can change the backer to like the Boston Sports Minute or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, we, we enjoy talking about other sports, too, as you guys can tell. So we appreciate you guys humoring us there at the end. I'm still going to say go Celtics. I'm going to oh, go Celtics. Of course, game. go Celtics. We're going to yeah. have a couple beers. We're going to have a good time. Hopefully they win. And uh, we'll see how things go. And if but they I'll lose, see- it's your fault. If they lose, it's because Marcus Smart has a thigh contusion. No, it's your- I told you not to go. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, yeah, I'm going to skip out on a playoff game because you told me not to go. That That's how this yeah. works. All right. Anyways, uh, Alex and I, like I said, we'll be back on Thursday night. Uh, we'll do a Q&A with you guys. So come in and ask your questions on Thursday. And then now, officially, we can wrap this up. So until next time, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. 